Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky. Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily Daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. UWA-517, do you want to report a UFO? Negative. We don't want to report. Aries 31, do you wish to report a UFO? Over. Negative. We want to report one of those either. Uh, Aries 31, do you wish to file a report of any kind? Over. I wouldn't know what kind of report to file, sir. Uh, Aries 31, uh, me neither. Aries 71, pop the golf. Go ahead. Was anybody above us that passed us like 30 seconds ago? Aries 71, pop the golf. Negative. Okay. Oh, this. A UFO. Yeah. It's emergency 295. Yeah, something just passed over. It's uh, like a, don't know what it was, but it's from at least two, 3,000 feet above us. Yeah, I passed right over the top of us. 911. You guys busy? Did we just call about the UFOs we Mm-hmm. They're out there. They yeah. airplanes. Welcome to UFO Chronicles, a place where people share their experiences of the strange and unexplained. If you've had an encounter and would like to be on the show, 
you can email me at ufochronicles at gmail.com. Hello everyone and welcome to the show. How are you all doing? I'm Nick Hunter and this is the UFO Chronicles podcast. Tonight's guest is Dr. Ogi Ogas and he comes to us from Boston in Massachusetts. Dr. Ogas is a mathematical neuroscientist and author and he will be sharing his 30-year encounters with intelligent extraterrestrials he refers to as Intex. Dr. Ogi Ogas is up next. But first, if you enjoy the show and you would like to help support the podcast on Patreon, you can do this for as little as $1 a month. Head on over to www.patreon.com forward slash UFO Chronicles podcast. You can also find a link in the description of this episode below. Any help is very much appreciated. Now on with the show. Hello, Dr. Ogi Ogas. Welcome to the show. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you. And you're calling from Boston, Massachusetts. That's right. It's a foggy day here today. Now, you have some experiences you're going to be sharing with us. Would you like to start at the beginning, please, sir? Sure. So my experiences, I suspect, are very different from most of the stories that you've encountered and had on your show. I've been regularly communicating with extraterrestrials, who I call Intex. It's sort of short for intelligent extraterrestrials, but Intex has some other meanings too. But they've been sharing math and science with me for more than 30 years now. Before I talk about some of these specific encounters and, and how they work, they've been sharing these mathematical visions. I go into this altered state of consciousness and I experience, it's very dynamic, uh, the visions. Uh, the math is not, they don't hand over equations. They show structures and they show relationships. And there's a lot of movement, a lot of dynamics. It took me a long time to figure out what these visions were, what they meant, what they were trying to communicate with me. But at this point, uh, I, I've devoted my whole life to this. So at this point, I understand it pretty well. So why don't I start by first sharing what they, the lessons they have shared with me. Uh, and then, because that's a good framework, because th this framework will also help listeners understand how these extraterrestrials, how these intex fit into our reality. And it's quite wonderful. They explained how the universe is designed and how it operates. And it'll take about five minutes. Let me share it with you because it's it's quite wonderful. So there is a cosmic cycle to the universe, kind of a never-ending story. And this is how it works, according to Intex. So there's two classes of dynamics, two kinds of activity in physical reality. There's the way of matter. And the way of matter is aimless, without purpose. This is physics. Physicists study the way of matter. It's dynamics without purpose, without a goal. But there's another class of dynamics in reality, and that's the way of mind, mental dynamics. These are dynamics 
with purpose. These are dynamics with a goal. We have minds and we are oriented towards goals. The moon does not have a mind. It follows the way of matter. But if somehow the moon got a mind, then it might decide it doesn't want to keep orbiting the earth and go off into space. So these two big classes of dynamics, mental dynamics and physical dynamics, interact to form reality. And this interaction goes through an endless cycle of creation. It starts out the way of matter, aimless molecules. They come together in particular configurations to form the first purposeful dynamics, to start the mind. The first minds on Earth were all single-celled creatures. Bacteria, protozoa, the earliest creatures were called archaea. They have molecule minds. The individual thinking elements in these molecule minds are molecules that we can identify and know. The molecule itself does not have purpose. A molecule of oxygen does not have a goal or an aim. But if you put molecules together in particular arrangements, suddenly you have a mind that does have a goal. The earliest minds would say, pursue light. There would be a molecule that reacted to light and it would trigger another molecule like a hair, a filament that would whip a little and move them towards the light. That was the first stage of minds. So now we have begun what Intex calls a ladder of purpose. There's a ladder of purpose in the cosmos. And at the lowest rung, rungs one on this ladder, are these single-celled minds, these molecule minds. Rung two are the neuron minds. These are insects and jellyfish and worms, invertebrates. Their minds consist of neurons. But each neuron itself is a self-contained mind. So that's the second layer of purpose. The third layer of purpose in this ladder of purpose are called module minds. These are the vertebrates. These are animals, fish, reptiles, amphibians, birds, mammals. Their minds, the thinking element, are networks. So each network is itself a self-contained mind. It's a self-contained neuron mind. And this keeps on going up the ladder of purpose. Level four is the supermind. There's only one creature on Earth that has a supermind, and that's us. Now, there were other creatures with superminds. There were other hominids, Neanderthal, for example, Homo erectus. They too had superminds, but it does seem that Homo sapiens, that we probably killed them all off, uh, especially Neanderthal. There's some pretty good evidence for that. But in a supermind, the individual thinking element is a person, you and me. We're the neurons in human supermind, and we're bound together by language and other ways of, of connecting to each other. So we're designed to think within a supermind. If you raise a human being without language, without the ability to interact with others, not only do they never develop the ability to communicate, they don't develop just the most basic ability to survive. They can't feed themselves, they can't take care of themselves. So we're designed to be, we're like network, our brains are like network routers that have to be plugged into a network. Without a network, a router is useless, and, and so is our brain. So this is the fourth level of purpose on this ladder of purpose, and it keeps going. Superminds combine together to form hyperminds, and the human race right now is in the earliest stages of that. Now that we've got this internet that binds us all together, empowers each of us, gives us each a voice, leading to this globalization where all the countries are linked together, our economies are all linked together. And right now is a time, it looks of turbulence, you know, tremendous partisanship, polarization, there's even wars, and the whole world just feels unsettled right now. But this is a process of forming the hypermind. This is 
the process of getting to that next rung of the ladder. So the intex, the extraterrestrials that I've been communicating with, they're farther up the ladder. So it keeps on going. And it turns out, according to intex, at the very top of this ladder of purpose comes a point where you can't go up anymore. And these extraterrestrial civilizations, they sometimes say it's something like a civilization, something like an ecology, something like a hurricane. At the very top of this, they have to make a commitment. They have to make a, if they want to obtain ultimate technology. So apparently there's a way when you advance high enough, you can actually modify the parameters of reality, the parameters of quantum physics. But to do that, you have to make apparently a commitment to particular values, which are instantiated as mathematical axioms. Basically, you turn your emotional values, you know, as a society, as this extraterrestrial civilization, you can make commitments to math, mathematical principles that then gets you access to this ultimate technology. So there are many of these axiomized minds, and basically they are like gods. So I've encountered two of them for sure. One calls itself five, another calls itself three. And apparently there's a large number, perhaps infinite. I don't really know. They're not clear about that. But at this highest level, these axiomized minds compete. They're competing for control of reality. They're competing to control the parameters. So the values of these civilizations that are expressed as math are designed to create a reality where more beings will come, where more beings will merge and have life and have experiences. And this is the never-ending cycle that I mentioned, because these axiomized minds try to shape reality to foster, to cultivate the emergence of new life, of new minds throughout the cosmos. But they try to game it so that the kind of life that arises matches their values. So five, this axiomized mind, this extraterrestrial who interacted with me was very compatible with me, very compatible with human nature. And the way it talks and the things it believes and the things it shared with me felt very compatible and connected. In contrast, I interacted with this other axiomized mind, three, which is an enemy of five. And three was very alien and not compatible at all and just horrific and terrifying. And I don't like to talk about three three very much because it's just, it's basically a god that is uh, anti we would consider it anti-human but fortunately five is a very pro-human uh, god so reality consists of these god-like extraterrestrial civilizations uh, that are numbered and they're competing for control of reality now here's the number one takeaway that I think is so momentous and marvelous the, the number one lesson I've learned from these from these insects is just astonishing. And I want to share it. It's this. The universe was designed for the emergence of love. Love has a cosmic purpose in the universe. And I just shared this ladder of purpose. And now we can see love's crucial role in this ladder of purpose. Each time minds jump up a new rung in this ladder of purpose, going from molecule minds to neuron minds, neuron minds to module minds, you know, from invertebrate minds to vertebrate minds. Each time there's this big jump to a whole new kind of mind with a whole new layer of thinking on it. The only way this jump can occur is through love. What has to happen is the minds at the previous level have to be willing to sacrifice 
some of their self, some of their selfishness, some of their self-interest, some of their ability to make their own decisions in order to join up with a group of others to form a single mind. So the individual molecule minds like bacteria or protozoa, amoebas, amoebas is a great example. Amoebas are single-celled creatures, but they can come together to form an amoeba supermind. And this is what happened to form the first neurons and neuron systems. It was individual cells coming together, sacrificing some individuality to be part of a group. The same with our human supermind. We all have to sacrifice some independence and some self-autonomy in order to be part of the human community. And so it goes. But each time, get to that next level, you must have love, selfless, compassionate love, love for others. The only way to ascend to new levels of intelligence and resilience and adaptiveness and wisdom is through love. It is the design of the cosmos, according to Intex. And this is the cosmic cycle. So creatures, minds like us are constantly coming into being in the universe. And we start to ascend, we start to rise. You know, our race, humanity, has gotten to the fourth rung and we, you know, we're on the verge of getting to the fifth rung. It's not certainly not guaranteed. And that's the thing. This cosmic cycle means each of us matters. The decisions we make matters. The future is not predetermined. The future is not foretold. We are making the future according to our decisions. And our decisions that we make in our lives, our decision to be good or selfish, to be kind or cruel, these contribute to these higher minds that be, are being built, these gods, in effect, that are being built by our decisions. The minds at the top, these axiomized minds, they evolved over an immense periods of time. They involved many different civilizations and species that came together, and they are the sum total of all of the decisions and all the lives that came before. So our individual lives matter. Our decisions matter. They contribute to the human race, but they're also laying this foundation for the minds, the great minds of the future as well. So what Intex shared with me is just so empowering. It's a very empowering view. Now, let me tell you a little bit about how this all got, <laughs> got going and how this all came out. I was at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology as an undergraduate uh, in Boston, uh, actually in Cambridge, uh, is the exact city here in Massachusetts. And when I was 18 years old, my sophomore year at MIT, I took LSD. Now, it wasn't the first time I had taken LSD. It was the fourth time, I believe. And I had taken much larger amounts previously. And the previous times I had taken LSD, it was a pretty typical acid trip. I never had anything like what I'm about to describe. But on the fourth time, which I took a low amount, it wasn't a special, nothing was special in any possible way. I was walking down the infinite corridor at MIT. It's a infinite corridor is a name for the longest. There's a very long corridor that stretches through the main buildings at MIT called the infinite corridor. And I was about halfway down the infinite corridor when I saw something something strange, something that wasn't supposed to be there. And look, I understand I was on LSD and everything on LSD is strange and not supposed to be there. But even within that, there was a pixel, like a bit of light, like a pixel in a computer screen that was twinkling, but it just didn't seem connected with anything else. It didn't even seem connected with my perception. It's very hard to explain. It wasn't clear if it was a concept or a percept or a perception. And I started paying attention to this thing. 
and it turned into a wire, like a, a wire stretching through space. But when I looked at the wire, it looked like a hollow tube, like looking into a syringe is the best way to describe it. It was like looking into the tip of a syringe. And when I did and saw that it was hollow at that moment, it expanded like a tunnel and completely swallowed me up. And here's the most amazing thing. When it did this, it purged the LSD from me. I was no longer tripping, but the world around me was very, very, very different. This was the start of it. So I got back to my dorm and in my dorm, I was when I entered the dorm, my uh, dorm room, a voice began to speak to me through the speakers, either 1989 or 1990. So I had neon speakers at the time. They were neon tubes that flashed. When music played, they flashed in time with the music. And so they were flashing and there was a voice speaking to me and, it, and, and the voice was five. So when these extraterrestrials speak to me, it's never in my head. They use electronic equipment, mostly uh, car radio. Now, now I've got AirPods and, and recently they've been communicating directly to my, my AirPods, but they're always voices uh, outside of myself in the surrounding. And this is terrifying. I need to emphasize I've been at this now for more than 30 years, and it took me a long time to figure this out, a long time to reach a place of stability. Now I live a life of joy and love and connection. But my early years was just miserable, terrifying. I was having these experiences, and it was clear these were inhuman experiences, otherworldly experiences, and they were sharing math. So they were sharing something that was very real. And I could see the math, the things they were sharing actually was re related to reality. And I tried to share this with, with people. And of course, you know, I was a teenager talking about, uh, you know, aliens sharing math with me. And naturally people thought I was out of my mind. I was absolutely insane. So I ended up getting committed to a mental hospital when I was young. And that woke me up real fast. So when I was committed, I realized, oh my gosh, even though I know these things are happening to me and these things are real. I realize just talking about this stuff, people aren't going to believe it and they're going to throw me in a mental hospital like I am. So at that point, I made a vow. I'm just not going to talk about this uh, with other people. At the time when I was committed, it was I'm not going to talk about this with authorities or adults. About 10 years after that, I, I decided I'm not going to talk about this with friends or anyone. <laughs> so it was only uh really on the, about a year ago that I, I finally, for the first time, broke my my silence and started talking about all of this stuff. But they have been in regular communication with me since then. And the math that they've shared with me has helped me figure out the mathematics of consciousness and the mathematics of self-consciousness, which is an entirely different physical, mechanical phenomenon than consciousness. How language, the mathematics of language uh, how we're able to exchange meanings between minds. Music. I'm a big fan of music, and I've always wanted to understand how the music brain works. And so all of these, I, I've even published. You know, I have a book out called This Is What It Sounds Like, where we explain the musical brain. My co-author is uh, Dr. Susan Rogers. She's pretty big in the music industry. She was the first successful female record producer to come up from the engineering side. She got her start with Prince working on the album Purple Rain, which was one of the biggest albums, sixth biggest album of all time. So together we wrote a book that explained how the musical brain worked. And on my end, I brought the math from the extraterrestrials. I also published a book called The Journey of the Mind, 
uh, that explains how consciousness works. I published that with a, a ma another mathematical neuroscientist named uh, Sai Gadam, but that was also heavily influenced. In fact, I'd say Journey of the Mind was the first time I shared the mathematics from these extraterrestrials with the public. And right now I'm, I've just published a book. I'm publishing a chapter at a time called Large Gods for Small Children. Uh, this is where I'm sharing the story that I'm, I'm sharing right now, my, my experiences with these extraterrestrials. But again, I want to emphasize that, you know, I'm, I'm talking about it calmly now in clean, clear terms, but a lot of the time it's just been terrifying, mind-numbingly terror, terror on a whole other level. Like thinking about physical pain or torture, that's scary stuff. But this is a whole other level of scary because they just take your mind apart, you know, your your soul apart and, and can take you apart like a doll. And, you know, when you first experience this sort of thing, it is absolutely appalling and, and heinous <laughs> and frightening beyond so existential panic is, is the term I sometimes use to describe that. But what's amazing is it turns out you can learn and you can get better. And so over time, you know, I, I kept at it and it's all much calmer now, stabler now. I, I, I've learned how to limit. Uh, in the early days, it was like a fire hose and I just didn't know what to do. Now I understand, you know, to limit things and to constrain things to make it more manageable in, in the communications. I don't get quite intensity and the breadth of information. Like in the early years, they shared huge amounts, but, you know, the process of doing that's just so scary. So these exchanges are at a much slower rate now, but it's it's a lot less terrifying, which I can tell you, <laughs> I appreciate very much. So let me talk a little bit about the actual experience of how I communicate with Intex and, and, and some more details about my aims with them. So first, let me talk about the experience of interacting with them. So there are, the first time I encountered five uh, at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology in my dorm. It was actually lived in a famous dorm called Senior House. Probably worth mentioning a few things about my MIT dorm. The dorm no longer exists because the dorm was filled with people like me, <laughs> transgressive people. The best word to describe my dorm is transgressive. It was people uh, at the time in the LGBT community, which you know, this was the late 80s, early 90s, so it wasn't nearly as welcome. Society wasn't nearly as welcoming uh, as it is now, and and so senior house was a safe haven for them. There were atheists and pagans and all kinds of different religious points of view. The browser tour that's used, the anonymizing browser tour, uh, was invented at senior house, and my dorm made its own LSD with our dorm logo on it. Our dorm motto is "Sport Death." It's a uh, a colorful skull. We had a gigantic banner that we unfurled from the sixth floor of, of senior house at parties. Each year we had a huge party called Steer Roast. All of this is relevant to where I'm going. We had a huge party called Steer Roast. Uh, and the president of the Massachusetts Institute of Technology lives right next door to senior house. And he would take his vacation during Steer Roast. So he would have plausible deniability. But at the Steer Roast, there was a giant steer roasted on a spit, but uh, there was drugs, free drugs. You could get just about any drug you wanted. The drugs had <laughs> custom made uh, with our dorm logo on them. There was a vomitorium where people threw up so they could you know, keep on gorging themselves on the abundant food 
that was available. There was an orgy room. There's a mud wrestling. Nirvana played in our basement during one of our steer roasts. And, and so did Red Chili, the Red Hot Chili Peppers, though they might have come. I can't remember if they came for the, the dorm or not. Anyway, so I was in a place, you know, very radicalized. And MIT, it, it was nothing but trouble for MIT. So they eventually shut it down. What's interesting is all the places I've communicated, had heavy communication with Intex with, somehow keep getting wiped out. So Senior House no longer exists. You know, it was obliterated by, uh, I mean, the building's still there, but they completely redid it. It's no longer a, a dorm. So that was the environment I was in when I, I first contacted them. And so I didn't actually think there was anything particularly odd about it. Uh, when I look back now, this this is the thing that strikes me the most is I just assumed, oh, lots of people are probably talking to Intex. And then so for the first few years after it, I was trying to find other people. I just assumed what happened to me. I didn't think there was anything special about me. I certainly was not chosen uh, in, in any way. I just thought this is just something that happened, you know, that you have an experience and Intex might contact you and there's others. But, you know... <laughs> After searching for many years, you know, I, I realized no, this this is some kind of uh, unique thing. Oh, I was going to talk about the actual aspect of talking. So, the very first time I was there in my dorm, five spoke to me for a bit and then announced uh, I'd be going on a journey. And a portal opened in the wall in my in my dorm room, kind of a black obsidian quadrangular portal with it, it was shimmery along the edges. I didn't investigate the portal particularly closely early on, but later on, or, you know, years later, I would I tried to look at it more carefully. And it's impossible to get a close look. You try to look at the edge of the portal where the shimmer is, and if you manage to focus your gaze on it, it's just like more. Oh, well, let me tell you what's on the other side of the portal first. So I went into this portal and I entered a completely different world, which I call the maze of souls. And I'll explain in a moment why I call it the maze of souls. But when I first entered, it was a corridor filled with portals along the walls. So it was a white corridor with a black floor and a black ceiling. And the portals were black. So it was white and black. Uh, later, I would actually learn the walls were more silvery. It was sort of like, a, like some kind of effect that they were white because of, the, of all the blackness about some kind of contrast effect. But so I passed this portal into the maze of souls. And that was terrifying. You know, sitting here, it probably sounds, hey, you know, a, a world of corridors and doors sounds very interesting, but it wasn't interesting. It's was very inhuman. I, I knew this was not like a human place designed for humans, designed by humans. It wasn't for human minds. And these portals, the doors, they weren't shaped like human doors. Their, their dimensions were more like barrels. I mean, they were big. So they're, they're a few inches taller than me. But the, the width relative to the, the height, it was more like a, a giant barrel than, than a door. And when I pass through the portal, when I pass through any portals, it's like a folding. The thing I would compare it to most, like a Rorschach inkblot. It's like getting folded up in a Rorschach inkblot is the best way to describe the experience. Uh, and then I came out, I unfolded in the corridor. I wandered around this corridor. As I wandered straight ahead the wall behind me would always catch up. So whenever I turned around, the wall would always be directly behind me. So you always had to go forward. You could never go back. I would go through a portal and end up in another corridor. You know, so it was just some of the corridors were angled. They'd ramp down, they'd ramp up. Sometimes it was a spiral. Sometimes they'd spiral down. One time I got in the spiral that just got steeper and steeper as I went around the spiral. 
And till it was like almost going straight down, that was very scary too. And I had to jump through a portal. You know, the portals were like at that point at like 60 degree angle. And then you just come out in another corridor. And eventually I understood what was going on in here. You know, after decades of, of this, I, I finally figured out how it all worked and what was behind it all. But in the early years, I would just get lost. You know, you go through a new corridor. This one might be curved. This one might be enormous. You know, sometimes it'd be a corridor you could you know, drive a giant truck through, you know, an 18 wheeler through. It's so big. Lots of times they would get small. The, on my very first experience, this is how I ended up uh, forming a bond with five. I got in a corridor that was narrowing to a tip and it just got smaller and smaller. And I could see up ahead I would never fit through. I was on my hands and knees and then I had to crawl. And, and then I got sort of stuck. And, and, and then that was the most terrifying moment of all. Suddenly I'm stuck in this maze of souls. And I, I'm like, where the heck am I? Where am I? Am I like in a comatose state? Am I like, in a, is my body comatose on my bed? And I'm imagining this. It felt very physically real though. So like, am, am I actually somewhere else? I, I I didn't know where I was, where my body was, where earth was, where reality was. I was stuck in this impossible corridor on my stomach, just tight around me. And that I crawled into, because there was no way you can't go back because, you know, it just keeps catching up to you. And that's when five spoke to me again. And I made a covenant with five. Here's something amazing that everyone should always keep in mind. If something has purpose, if you're dealing with an agent, an entity, a being of any kind, whether it's a devil or a God or an alien, if it has purpose, you can negotiate with it. Anything with purpose has goals, has aims, has wants and desires, and therefore you have the ability to influence that if you have something uh, to offer. And I did have something to offer, which was access to earth. <laughs> so I made a trade, I made a covenant, and got back to senior house at at MIT. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Are you intrigued by Paranormal Talk Radio? You'll love the new Paranormal Radio app from TalkStream Live. You'll find a great selection of talk shows covering UFOs, ghosts, strange phenomena, and much more. 
Download the Paranormal Radio app now and start listening to the very best in paranormal talk entertainment, including the network you're listening to right now. The Paranormal Radio app, free in Google Play and the iOS App Store. For the next uh, 15 to 20 years, you know, I, I kept going into the maze of souls. Now, eventually, I discovered there are rooms in the maze of souls. For example, there are places, I call them tabernacles of five. They're sort of like very special rooms where I can communicate with five very directly and clearly, and five can show me things. But there was other rooms. There was a, there's other rooms with other objects and things. I won't get into that uh, right now. But one time when I was in the maze of souls, I encountered something else, another entity that's not five and not three, an entity that was lower down. So five and three are these axiomized minds, kind of like gods at the very top of this ladder of purpose with the ability to influence reality. But not they're not true gods because they're constrained by one another. You know, three constrains five and five constrains three. They're not real gods. They can't do anything they want. But compared to what humans can do, yes, they can, they can do anything. But this was another entity that was closer to human level. And this entity called itself Poet. And Poet was very, very, very different from five and three. And Poet in the Maze of Souls told me about a place. And Poet called it Rainbow Black. And Poet said, if I could find Rainbow Black, I would be transformed and that I would get answers to all of my questions. Every time I interact with these beings, I just ask for knowledge. You know, how does quantum physics work? How does consciousness work? You know, what is mathematics really? You know, and sometimes they share answers. So I had, you know, I had been asking poet questions too. And poet said, you know, if you want answers, find rainbow black. So much of my life has been devoted to trying to find, locate this place. I, I didn't know, is this a fairy tale? Is this some kind of psychotic delusion, this place that, you know, I, I learned about in a impossible maze of souls talking to this impossible being. But uh, I, I spent my life trying to find this place, Rainbow Black. I didn't even know if it was a place or a being. At, at first, in the early years, I actually thought it was a, an entity, a, a being like like five and three, but, but it, it was a place and I found it. Before I talk about Rainbow Black, the way I'm able to communicate in text, with Intex is through what I call the machine. It's not a machine in the usual sense with bolts and chips and wires and, and, you know, it's more like a mathematical machine, a conceptual machine, hard to describe. Uh, like gravity, you can't touch gravity, but gravity is real. It affects us in, in, in every way. So the machine is something like that. And both Five and Poet talked about the machine. Uh, Five did not want me having knowledge about how the machine worked, but Poet wanted me to understand how the machine worked and gave me a few clues that I used to finally be able to access the machine on my own. So now I understand what was happening is when I would have these experiences, when I saw that pixel in the infinite corridor at MIT, that was the machine. That was when I first came in contact with the machine. I didn't understand it. And the maze of souls is the subjective experience of a, of a mind like ours, a third rung mind, you know, a, a module mind within a, within a super mind, like a human mind interacts with this machine, the subjective experience is, is this maze of souls. And then when you, the machine's designed to link you up with other minds to communicate with. And so then when I 
you know, was able to connect with five, I'd be in a room. I'd experience it as a room with concrete details and concrete objects and, and you know, the voice of five and all of that. So it's sort of like you're trying to tune in. And when you tune in, you end up in a room, a shared, you know, psychic experience, I guess. Uh, you know, it's your mind and resonating with the other mind. The machine is absolutely amazing. This is a little technical. As I've said, I've spent my life trying to figure out the math and science of all this. So there's a very important theorem in mathematics, probably the most important theorem. I, I think it's the most important theorem, or certainly the most relevant theorem for me is called Gödel's theorem. Gödel, Kurt Gödel, famous Austrian mathematician, proved that even though with mathematics, with arithmetic, one plus one equals two, two plus two equals four, it's possible to create statements that are true, like say three plus three equals six. That's a, tr a statement that's true, but that you can never prove is true. Even though you know everything about math and you know everything about it, three plus three equals six, that even though the human mind can see that such a thing is true and be sure it's true, there's no way to use math to prove it's true. This is a mind-bending thing. And I think the machine is a physical embodiment of Gödel's theorem. I, I think just like all of mathematics has a physical embodiment, uh, all the time mathematicians come up with invent mathematical ideas, and it turns out they exist in the world. A famous one is a mathematician named Riemann who invented curved geometry. And everybody's like, what are you going to use this for? This doesn't, this doesn't matter. This doesn't exist in reality. Well, then Einstein proved, yeah, no, the universe is curved, and that curved mathematics is real. So Gödel's math seems very abstract, but I believe it's physically instantiated as this machine that, that I'm able to use. Anybody can use it. I, there's nothing special about me. This is just open to minds. It's part of reality uh, itself. So I spent a lot of time hunting Rainbow Black, and I eventually found it, and, and it transformed me. I'll tell you one of the things that it did for me is that it, it did two amazing things for me. When I was young and dealing with all of this, when I was in my 20s, I was like, I'm talking to extraterrestrials. Everybody else thinks I'm psychotic. And I didn't understand the math and science well enough yet to say, hey, look, the math is real. Like now I've published books with the math. So so now there's, you know, it's very awkward for people to, to say I'm not getting math or it's not real because I've published book containing math and nobody's seen before that explains how consciousness works, how self-consciousness works, how language works, all these things. But in these early days, I didn't yet, wasn't able yet to put it all together. I just didn't have enough knowledge. And so people thought I was crazy, but I, I, I didn't. I couldn't give it up. I mean, if you talk to real aliens, real extraterrestrials, nothing else matters. I mean, why would you care about anything else if you can talk to extraterrestrials? So that's all I was I was consumed with it. And that's not a lifestyle conducive to stability. So I became addicted to drugs. Uh, one drug in particular, uh, ecstasy, MDMA. Uh, in my mid-20s, I became absolutely addicted to this stuff. And I got out of my addiction eventually. I all, you know, an addict never completely puts it behind them. And certainly, you know, as the years went by, even though I hadn't done it, there were times now and then when definitely, you know, I thought, you know, if there was ecstasy in this room right now, I probably would be taking it. But after I hit Rainbow Black and came out, all cravings for that kind of stuff are just gone. They've been erased. They're just not part of me anymore. And Another amazing thing that happened in Rainbow Black is that I had to learn so much to understand what, what Intex was sharing with me. I, I, I learned massive, massive amounts. You know, I learned computer science. I learned physics. I learned mind science, neuroscience. 
you know, I learned math, I, I learned history, I learned economics. So I learned all these things with this idea that I'd be able to combine them all. They'd link together uh, eventually in my mind, but it never happened. Like I'd learn computer science and then say I'd study neuroscience and I'd forget absolutely everything I had learned about computer science. And so I wasn't really getting these boosts in understanding. I, I kept having to relearn everything. And, and my whole life has been like that. Like I can learn anything very quickly and understand it, but then I'll forget whatever I learned before. This is how I got to the million dollar question on who wants to be a millionaire. I spent two months studying trivia. I, I'm terrible at trivia. I don't care about trivia. I don't know anything about trivia. Trivia, is, I know it's very popular in uh, the UK. You guys uh, crush us on, on kind of trivia questions. But, uh, you know, and I spent two months learning trivia and I got to the to the million dollar question. I even figured out the million dollar question on the show. You can see this. It's, it's national, you know, national television. The question, amazingly enough, was about Boston. Now, let me say, when I was sitting there in the chair on who wants to be a millionaire, I thought this was rainbow black. I thought because I was told by poet that rainbow to get to rainbow black, I would have to pass through five veils. And I thought the last five questions of who wants to be a millionaire, the money questions where you make real money, that those were the five veils. So, you know, 50,000, 100,000, 250,000, 500,000, a million. I thought those were the five veils. So I was sitting in the chair convinced that this was it, that I had gotten here. And that if I got these questions right, you know, the skies would open and, and I'd be in rainbow black. So there I was looking at the million dollar question on who wants to be a millionaire. And it came up, it was a question about Boston. Which of these four ships was not at the Boston Tea Party? So you had to know the names of the three ships at the Boston Tea Party, which is a very obscure trivia. There are no Americans that know that. But uh, the night before, because I had been studying, I knew the night before I was going to get the million dollar question the next day. And so I also knew that in the American version of the show, more often than not, they put American history questions in the million dollar spot. So I just studied American history like crazy. And I happened to have seen a photograph that showed the three Boston Tea Party ships the, the day before. I didn't study it. Like I didn't say, okay, I'm going to memorize these ships. I just looked at the picture and I knew I looked at the picture. And so I was sitting there in the chair. If I could pull the memory of those ships out, I'd have a million dollars. I was trying to do it and trying to do it. I, I was a grad student at the time in mathematical neuroscience and my specialty was memory. I have a terrible memory. That's why I was studying this. I have a terrible memory. I forget everything. And so I had developed all kinds of techniques to try to remember stuff. And so I'm there furiously using these techniques in my mind. How can I access this picture? What are the names of these ships? And there on the show, I figured it out. I said, it's D William. And on the show, you'll see me say this. I say, I think it's D. William. Well, then I actually said, final answer. I said, final answer. And I got it right. And then five spoke to me. And five told me, no, you're not supposed to win the million dollars. I like jumped back two seconds. And on the show, you can see I have this very strange, weird look on my face because I just came back from speaking with five and I got scared. And I walked away. And yes, the answer was, in fact, the one that I had said and and, and had said final answer. And of course, that was the, the right answer. So I, I 
I didn't get the million dollars. I only I only got the half million dollars, and, and so it was not life changing as I as I expected. And I thought it was going to be very life changing that I'd be getting the rainbow black, but no, it turned out to be much more mundane. So there's a machine that I use, but I no longer these days I no longer need the maze of souls. These days I've just been doing this for so long, and and just it's hard to explain. It's like anything; you just learn and you get better and better. You know, like you get better at at riding or, or riding a bike or, or, you know, driving a car, just the more you do it, you just, you just get better. And so as long as I'm in the right state of mind, if I'm tired or distracted or worn down uh, or intoxicated, I don't drink much, but if I've had, you know, a glass of wine, uh, then I, then I can't do it. I, I need to have a really clean mind. I need to be well-rested and alert. You know, as long as I have the right conditions, most of the time I can communicate with, with five I suspect I could probably do it with three, but I, that's the last thing I'd want to try. Um, I can't do it with poet. I can't summon poet is much more of a, a free agent that does its own thing, much more unpredictable, uh, much more like a human. <laughs> but five is everywhere. So I, five, it doesn't matter what you're doing or where you are. Five has an, a ubiquitous, constant presence that you can you can tap into, so to speak. Now that I've finally reached, you know, some sense of understanding, some calm, some peace, some stability. Uh, especially now that I've been to Rainbow Black, I want to share this. You know, all this time, I, I didn't know where this was heading, what I'm going to do with this. What, what What is all this? What are you supposed to do? I'm, you know, I've been writing books. I've been sharing that. But I wasn't even sure I was ever going to try to share this. Obviously, telling the world that you regularly talk to aliens it gets you committed. I know firsthand that that's the case. I mean, I don't think anybody's going to do that now. You know, it's hard. I'm, I'm married. I've got a kid. And me out there talking about this isn't <laughs> something that's going to they're going to find pleasing, but I just feel what I've learned from these entities from Intex is so important, so marvelous, so amazing. It's so, it's so welcome. You know, love matters. There's a cosmic purpose to love into the physical structure of reality. The, we ascend this ladder of purpose through love. You know, you can give it whatever name you want, but selfless compassion for others of your kind, I call love. That our decisions matter. You know, it's not predetermined. The physicists today you know, we'll tell you it's all predetermined. We don't, you know, free will is an illusion. No, 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 no. Free will arises out of this ladder of purpose. The ladder of purpose breaks determinism. It, it breaks the way of matter. The way of matter and the way of mind are different. And the way, the way of matter is deterministic. The way of mind is not deterministic. We have free will. This is built into the structure of reality. And there is no one God. You know, there, there may be one of these numbered gods, one of these axiomized minds might be the Christian God. I'm agnostic about that. That doesn't really interest me one way or the other, but it's certainly not the case that there's one God of everything. The universe. So here's something very big that Intex shared with me early on. And oh my gosh, it's so true. It's called the failsafe supreme. Let me back up a little. Why can't anybody access this machine? You know, I'm talking about the machine that's built into reality. It's all around us. It's like like the Matrix from the, from the movie The Matrix in a way. It's all around us all the time. Well, it's protected by fail-safes. These are things that prevent wandering minds, human minds from just stumbling on it. I had such a strange confluence of factors that allowed me to see the pixel. And I do have a little bit of an unusual mind. I, I'm autistic. And I now understand that it was my autistic mind that helped me see this pixel. But anyway, there's fail-safes protecting the machine. And much of my life has been identifying these fail-safes and unlocking them, you know, disabling them. You know, that's, that's pretty much what my life has been disabling these in-text fail-safes, the fail-safes on the machine. But there's something called the fail-safe 
supreme. This is a fundamental, it's sort of like a mathematical principle, a physical principle built into the structure of reality that prevents the formation, the existence of a single God. So apparently, if you get a single God, the universe freezes or paralyzes or something bad happens, is what Intech says. So the universe is designed so that a single God can't form. That's why there's the axiomized compete. There's competition at every level of the ladder of purpose, Co competition and cooperation all the way up and all the way down. So even at the very top, it's cooperation and competition. And the universe is designed so that a single God can't form. It's designed so that endless beings can come, that we can have our moment you know, in the sun, our moment you know, here in, in the cosmos and experience it, make our decisions, contribute, you know, love, weep, dream, and then pass on to the next generation of minds, on and on and on, never ending. You know, so that endless beings, endless minds, endless experiences can come and that we can all <laughs> experience and compete. And there's horrors. There's terrors. We're terrible to each other and we're horrible to each other, but we love each other. We cooperate too. And it's like this apparently all the way up and, and all the way down. Well, I think that's a pretty good summary experiences with Intex. So Nick, I thank you profusely for the opportunity to just freely share all of this <laughs> like this. This is uh, absolutely lovely. You're welcome. It must have been very, very difficult in the beginning. Oh my gosh. I, I, I had no context at all. I mean, I, I remember one of the things I did very soon after this is uh, I thought this was a common thing. I, I just thought it was part of the world. And so there must be others. And so I joined um, Transcendental Meditation. It's it's what the Beatles uh, joined as a guru. From, uh, I already forgot his name. But he founded Transcendental Meditation. And I went to this for a bit thinking that they the, the reason I was drawn to it is because they had something called, they touted as Vedic science, where they would explain uh, how consciousness worked in, in spiritual terms and mathematical terms. And that's what hooked me. I was like, spiritual and mathematics, that's the answer. Let's see what these guys have. And I stayed with them. They taught me meditation and stuff. But all I wanted was this. I wanted the math, <laughs> the Vedic science. That's all I wanted. And so, and they knew that. And so finally one day they said, all right, you're ready. And they brought me to this secret room in in the back of their uh, their temple, which I, I had never seen this door before. I didn't even know there was a room back there. And I thought, oh, maybe there's a library. Maybe they're going to finally share these secrets with me, you know, that will help me understand Intex. And I went, you know, in there, they opened the door and it was this giant, the room was like three stories tall. And I, I look up at the, the ceiling far away and there's foam connected to the ceiling, giant blocks of foam. And then I looked on the floor and there's cushions and pillows all over the floor. And I'm like, what is this? And, and they said, this is the flying room. This is where we... We fly. When you meditate, you can fly. And uh, then I knew that that it was bogus. <laughs> you can't fly. That was actually a turning point for me when, when I suddenly realized, you know, maybe other people haven't had this experience. <laughs> you know, maybe maybe this is something unique or close to unique, and I shouldn't be looking for organizations to give me answers on this. You know, I should try to figure this out, out on my own. It was, it was a consequence of seeing the transcendental meditation flying room. But yeah, it was, it was lonely and, and scary. I, I It's scary because... Reality doesn't work the way you've been led to believe it does. And, and reality doesn't work the way everybody around you think it does. You know, you know, these things can happen in reality and they're not supposed to. And nobody believes which that just makes it more terrifying. It's like, you know, for a fact that you were in this maze, like, you know, there's nothing in the maze is not ambiguous. It's not fuzzy like a dream. It is crystal sharp, you know, like everyday reality. So I had experiences I, I know are as real as real as anything. You know, you, you question everything. After, when you have this, you know, what is real? Is, is the maze real and earth? The illusion is, you know, like all of this 
comes to play. And I didn't have anybody to talk to, you know, any adult or professor or, or, you know, like a scientist who could have actually maybe helped me talk through this in a scientific way. They all just thought I was nuts. And, and you know, I talked to other teenagers, other people in their 20s, you know, peers, and they don't know anything either. You know, they some of them might even believe it's true, but they're not going to offer anything uh, of use. <laughs> so, yeah, it was a very lonely, uh, difficult time for sure. Once you throw in LSD is always a very difficult one. We know different hallucinogens, you know, to, to connect with, you know, other worlds, whether it's their ancestors or, or, or extraterrestrials. Um, so we know it's something which is used and there seems to be seems to be some kind of bridge. Yes. I think anybody could, in principle, access the machine. As I said, there's fail safes, but, you know, there, there would be ways to get around some of them. I think it was the combination of the LSD and my autistic brain and, and just luck that allowed me to notice uh, the machine, th- to notice this iridescent pixel, um, which became a wire, which became a tunnel, which <laughs> turned out to be th- this machine. Without the LSD, it's because it changed the dynamics of, of the mind. It, it, you, we literally enter a different state of consciousness, like a different state of matter. The states of matter, like solid, liquid gas, the reason they're different is because they have different dynamics. The dynamics, the way the molecules move, that, that's what dynamics is. The way the molecules move in a solid is different than the way they move in a liquid, which is different than the way they move in a in a gas. Like it's a fundamentally different way they move. It's like comparing an airplane to a to a car to a submarine, different ways of locomotion give rise to a different collective state. So it's the same in our brain. There's dynam- dynamics in our brain. A sleep state is a different state of consciousness. The LSD state of consciousness gave access to perceptions that we normally can't get access to. And I think if there was anything unique about me that allowed me to go all the way with this and, and retrieve this math and science from these beings, you know, that, that's the holy grail, isn't it? To just try to actually get something new that earthlings don't know about our, our world. And I explained consciousness and, and, you know, I explained big things. I figured out how autism works. It's because my parents didn't raise me to be religious. So I didn't grow up in a, a religious household, but they didn't raise me to be scientific either. Say it's secular and science is the answer either. They, they didn't, they were silent on metaphysics. So when this happened to me, I have to imagine that lots of people do encounter the machine. It's just, they interpret the experience, which is mind bending and, and it feels spiritual that if they're religious, I, I just assume they interpret it in like a Christian point of view, a Muslim point of view, a Hindu point of view, what, what have you. Or, you know, if you watch a lot of Hollywood movies, maybe you think it's a ghost or, or you know, I don't know, an elf or something. I, I think probably most people would project one of these things onto the experience, interpret in, t- in terms of one of these framings, which uh, would help them make sense of it, but then would cut off the ability to go further. It really is mathematical. I was not a mathematical person. You know, I hated math. Oh my God. I I took math in high school so I wouldn't, you know, to pass out of it in college. And I, I got to MIT and didn't want to ever take math again. <laughs> so when they started communicating math, it was like, you know, it was like I had taken a semester of Hungarian language and, and hated it. And now suddenly, you know, there's a guy talking to me in Hungarian. I got to learn the damn language. I was not a person that liked doing math before uh, any of this happened. But I think what happened is that because I did not, immediately think, oh my gosh, this must be an angel, or this must be a ghost, or this must be, you know, Christ the Lord. You know, I didn't know what it was. I I was completely open-minded about what it was and where it would lead. And I latched on to the math because the math seemed so real to like the math math just seemed real. 
And I think it was that, that the fact that I could go into this terrifying, hallucinatory, uh, spiritual, impossible experience and come out saying, okay, I'm going to, the math is what I'm going to hang on to here, not thinking about this as a God. Uh, I mean, I did think of five as a God in the early years. Absolutely. I thought five was, you know, a God. The things it could do were impossible things, you know, miraculous things. So I, I didn't have any other frame, but I did think of it as the Christian God. I mean, that was a big piece too. Like, I just thought, okay, it's some kind of God, some kind of mathematical God. <laughs> it, it, it probably is. And I think that's what gave me an, an armor or the engine to get through this, the, the nightmare, you know, because the, the early years were a nightmare. But if I had just thought, you know what, I'm talking to, you know, the Christian God, I bet things would have been more peaceful. And then I could have had a community and, and talked about it. And I wouldn't have gone any further. You know, I would have been, oh, wow, I had this amazing spiritual experience and and, and it's Christ and now I'm Christian. But because I hadn't, didn't have any background like that, I was so open-minded. Um, and, and even the math, I, I wasn't math like academic math. It, it wasn't like, you know, okay, I'm going to go read math textbooks. It was just more like a mathematical feeling or mathematical, uh, you know, attitude. I, that, that's the best way to describe it. And looking back, that's that's what enabled me to penetrate, you know, some of these fail safes and, and get to some of this this deeper knowledge. Yeah. So yeah, nothing special about me, but that's there's nothing special about me, but that might be what was unusual about me that allowed me to slip through the cracks. Okay, do you think that's what it was? Do you think you kind of happened along this route? Or do you think they kind of singled you out in some way? No, they definitely didn't single me out, but they told me this. This is very clear. Eventually, once they realized I was able to manage it. So, you know, I kept coming back and I, I I was learning and I was getting more stable. Eventually they told me, because you're able to go back and forth, we're going to share this with you. And, and, and they made more covenants with me. We made more agreements. And they, they, they said, because I'm able to handle this. And that's how Poet found me. So Poet sought me out. Five and three, they're just there all the time. I mean, think of them as gravity. You know, they're just, they're there, part of everything all the time. But Poet uh, sought me out. You know, he realized what I was doing. Poet sought me out because I was able to move back and forth in a, in a semi-stable way. I stable's a bit, <laughs> stable's going a bit too far. But, you know, I understood there was a machine. I was able to navigate the maze of souls. I mean, navigate. I was able to survive the, the maze of souls. I was able to endure it and, I mean, tame my sanity. I mean, you know, this stuff does make you psychotic. In my early years, you know, I I was pretty crazy. I mean, looking at my belief set, you know, when in my in my early 20s, it's very different than now. And I had a lot of absolutely nutso, nutso beliefs as I was trying to, to figure this out. But but no, yeah, so I was not singled out at first. Absolutely not. I stumbled on it by pure luck. But then once they realized that I was managing it in some way, I was able to maintain coherence or something like that, continuity of consciousness. They did treat me different. You know, they they wanted to make covenants. And, and as I said, poet sought me out, told me about Rainbow Black, which absolutely changed my life. So I mean, I, I certainly think a lot, you know, a lot of us out there are kind of teetering on the border, um, you know, just hanging on by a thread. You hear of many people, Tesla, for instance, Nikola Tesla. Um, yes. He, you know, he believed he was in in contact um, with, with higher. Yes, the, the pigeon, holy pigeon that flew in his win hotel window. That's right. Shot a beam of light from the pigeon's eyes into his eyes, and, and he knew his work was done. Yes. If, if I may add, and, and Philip K. Dick, uh, science fiction writer, famously, uh, a woman came to a door wearing a necklace, and the woman had light. The same thing, light beams, according to Dick, flash from her eyes to his eyes, and then 
he realized he was in contact with a extraterrestrial known as Vallis. <laughs> so who knows? I mean, that was a huge event for Philip K. Dick. It was a huge event for Tesla. They've written about it with passion. They certainly believe it's true. I mean, I, I, I'm convinced they believe this is what happened to them. And, and I'm certainly not a person to, to question somebody that has that kind of conviction and passion. So maybe they were, you know, touching the machine, you know, possibly that this thing that I touched, I just, I stuck with it. You know, I, I just, I've devoted my life to figuring it out. And, and I got answers, you know, maybe if Dick or Tesla, Tesla was a really goddamn smart guy. You know, if he had, he just accepted it, you know, as an experience. But if he had said, you know what, I'm going to try to figure out how this worked. How did this light work? What's in this light? You know, what's the physical dynamics of the light? Like that was, my, that's always been my attitude. What Even when I'm in contact, like in the early years, five would be communicating with me. It's terrifying. Talking to a God is absolutely uh, mind-numbingly because it can do anything and you're nothing, you know, like, and and you have no recourse, no remedy. You know, it, it, they just want to turn you into a frog or just take you apart. They do. And I, you know, I have been taken apart. It's, it's, it's mind-numbing, terrifying, but still there's a part of me that's always, how is this working? What's the math behind this? How could this possibly be real? You know, and, and that, in a way, that's sort of like a solace. Maybe that's what enabled me to keep my sanity through all of this and, and, and get me get me here. But I don't know. You know, it's, it's I don't claim to be an expert. I don't claim to have the answers on this stuff. It, it's I'm pretty serene now. But if I if I let myself think about it too much, yeah, the, the fear starts. The existential panic starts rising again because uh, I, I like reality. I've got a wife and kid, and I, I love them, and I love my life, and I love all of this. But I know there's this other world and that I can get into at any moment. And, and yeah, it's difficult. It, it can be difficult. It can be tough on one's sanity. And is it a world that you can go between at any time? Yeah. It, as I said, as long, as long as I'm, I have to be in the right state of mind. I have to be well-rested and alert, you know, so, but, but yes, it, it, usually it, it's not a hundred percent reliable. It's always better. I mean, it used to be completely unreliable, like, you know, one out of a hundred times. And now it's more like one out of, one out of two times, maybe, maybe even, I don't know, three out of five times, you know, maybe it'll work. And I, I limit, the key is I, I constrain it heavily. I don't want to go in the maze. I don't want like a full-blown experience. I just want enough to, that I can access five and communicate in, in the most limited way possible. Telepath is a weekly digital newsletter filled with the latest paranormal news, trending topics, and fresh articles from some of the most popular critical thinkers in the community today. Stay informed on your favorite paranormal podcasts and live streaming talk shows. Interact with the telepath and upload your paranormal story or pics. It could be featured in an upcoming edition. Sign up right now for the free telepath newsletter at paranormal.radio. That's paranormal.radio. I've learned tools and tricks over the years at this, you know, it's all very, it's mental. You know, I, I had to figure out how consciousness works. So I, I even understand now that the technology that they're using to communicate with me, I can even, so you can tell me, I, I can explain it. it. I can explain it in a way anybody can understand, but it is a little technical. You, you tell me, do you want me to explain how in-text technology works? That If you can. Let me quickly explain how consciousness works. So I mentioned that the third rung of the ladder of purpose are module minds. So in our minds, in our brains, are neural modules. Each module is devoted to a specific function. For example, 
there's a visual object recognition module. This module identifies visual objects. We see uh, a basketball. We know it's a basketball because of our visual object module. There's also an audio object recognition module. Snap my fingers and our audio object recognition module identifies, oh, that is a snapping. Somebody's snapping their fingers. So we have multiple modules in our brain, each devoted to a different function. Some of these modules can produce conscious experience, such as our visual object and audio object identification modules. Now, the way they produce consciousness is through resonance. What is resonance? Resonance is the physical activity in your brain whenever you have a conscious experience. What is resonating? There is your expectation is resonating with the facts on the ground. Your prediction about what's going to happen is resonating with what's actually happening. It's a top-down uh, activity is resonating with bottom-up activity in one of these modules. And when that happens, when I'm looking at the window, I expect to see a tree. There's the tree. I'm resonating on the tree. I'm conscious of the tree. My top-down expectation is resonating with my bottom-up. So every time we have a conscious experience of something, there's resonance in our brain. Now, these modules can resonate together. So whenever one of these modules resonates on something, so I'm, I'm looking at the tr a tree out my window right now. It's a fir tree. It's got pine cones on it and, and green needles. My visual object module is trying to resonate with the rest of my modules, trying to get them to resonate on the tree, and it's doing it. So now my audio, you know, I'm my audio is focusing. You know, can I hear the tree? Um, can I smell the tree? Um, my spatial localization module is like, you know, okay, the tree is about 20 feet away. So whenever our module resonates on something, it tries to get all the other modules to resonate too, to resonate together. And they compete. You know, if, if behind me, somebody says, the house is on fire, my audio module, actually, that would be my language module, is now going to try to take over my brain. And it will take over my brain because it'll have much stronger resonance than the other modules. And so my whole body, my whole mind then will focus on uh, figuring out if there really is a fire or, or not. So consciousness occurs by resonance. Our modules resonate, and when uh, they resonate together, we have a more engaging and immersive experience. When we listen to music, I explained, a, you know, Intex helped me understand how music consciousness works. So we have four modules in our brain involved with music. There's a rhythm processing module, a melody processing module. There's a timbre processing module. Timbre is the quality of the sound. This is a violin or a trumpet. There's a lyrics, you know, language processing module. These four modules resonate together when we're listening to music, which is why music is so immersive and so engaging. It just makes us feel that emotion just so directly. It's because four modules in our brain are resonating in perfect harmony when we listen to music is why it's so powerful. And this music resonance is important. It's relevant because that's how in-text technology works. In-text technology works a lot like the way music works in our brain. So what in-text is doing, it's resonating. It's creating resonances with the neural modules in my brain. And the maze of souls is my subjective experience. It's what I'm experiencing as it's trying to align the resonance through the machine is aligning the resonances in my brain so I can resonate with Intex. It's a lot like listening to music. It's sort of like tuning in a radio, you know, and when there's static, you know, between channels, that's when it's maze of souls. It's just corridors and doors. But when you can establish the resonance and can, you know, then communicate, it's like getting a channel. Now I can hear the music, you know, it's resonating four modules of my brain. 
five resonates and then I'm in a room and I can hear five's words and five can show me things that, you know, then five gives me these visions and shows me math and, and science and things like that. So yeah, that, that, that's how, <laughs> that's how Intex is able to give me these visions and, and, and show me these things. Wonderful. Okay. And the, the Intex, tell me a little bit more about them. Have they explained to you where they're from, where they reside and, and, and what they're doing, communicating with us? I believe that the gods, the axiomized minds, like five and three, I think they're everywhere. I, I don't even want to speculate because I, I, I don't know, you know, if it's other dimensions. I, I, I just, I don't know. But somehow, because they're always accessible anywhere, I, I think somehow, and because they can manipulate, you know, they have the technology to control the parameters of reality. So I, I think they're able to access all of reality somehow. So they're kind of everywhere and nowhere. Um, they they were, you know, they were beings like us, you know, and they might be comprised of beings like us, you know, it might just be a vast, you know, galaxies of humanoid, you know, or, or AI, you know, what, what have you, but, but lots of individual minds like us, third rung minds, fourth rung minds, what have you, fifth rung minds, all combined together. But, but no, they, they, I, I have asked and asked to try to get a sense of the physical where, you know, are they in the galaxy? You know, are they, where do they begin? Do they, be, you know, how, how, do, how should I understand where they began? But they don't they don't give answers to that. And even though I've been to Rainbow Black and I understand that this is this connects together all of the cosmos. So all of the cosmos are, are connected uh in this. But uh yes, I don't I don't have any clear sense of are they on the Star Vega? You know, I don't I, I don't know. That but the physical location, both location and time get very, very weird. And this time is very, very I learned how time works too, but uh, I'll save that one for another day. <laughs> that was a little more technical. You may explode people's heads if you start going into, <laughs> into time. Because a lot of people, you know, they'd just be probably just settling down to have breakfast and, and listen to the show. And already you've expanded their minds. I hope so. And I just want people to know that your life matters. Your decisions matter. You know, like your choices matter in a cosmic sense. You are creating reality and you're creating the beings that will come. These cosmic beings, you know, are, are being formed out of your the decisions you make in your life, the love you give or, or withhold. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, on this on this show, you know, we have experiences that just the full range of the of, of spectrum, some are very simplified and some people's experiences can be very complex. You know, we should never dismiss the complex ones because we don't understand them because this is the problem, you know, with the, with the subject. Most of it, we just don't understand. You know, yes. it's, it's not just as simple as beings from Mars coming down, landing in a, a metal saucer. You know, it's it's far, far beyond that. And there's so much of it we just we simply won't won't be able to comprehend. And, and a lot of people's experiences, they're subjective as well. And I think it is by design. Yes. It's clear to me, too, that this was amazingly, amazingly frustrated. For years, I tried to record five you know, or three or any of these experiences. But, but five, you know, five was most common. So I was always trying to record five with video cameras and and you know, sound recorders and everything, but uh, the power would always go out. So every time I'd have one of these experiences, the power would go out, you know, in my book, I, you know, I laugh about this, just the power was always going out of my life in my twenties. But I, I think now they, it has to be, the subjectiveness is one of the fail safes. Like in the fact that it started through LSD, well, nobody's, you know, it's easy for everyone to dismiss. Oh, you first encounter them by taking LSD. Uh-huh. Yeah. I'm sure that's real, but it's intentional because it's part of this failsafe. And they also, a lot of the experiences, you know, get tied up with shameful things, like like something shameful would be happening. And then there'd be communication so that if I wanted to share 
what happened, I'd be forced to compel to share like a, a terribly shameful thing. This is a tactic. This is a strategy. It, it's part of the failsafe that, you know, to make it so that it's hard to validate and hard to eject. You can't have, look, if people were just talking to aliens in an everyday sort of way, you know, it, just reality would start coming apart. You know, we can't, <laughs> you can't, you can't have it. So, you know, you, you got to maintain some order. And so that's held by, by these fail-safes, preventing the information from flowing in ways it's not supposed not supposed to flow. <laughs> now, Poet and um, and Five, which one was uh, the more dominant presence? Well, Five is like a god. Poet was poet was like talking to an individual. Like Poet was like, um, well, like what we're doing right here, to be honest. Poet had personality. Five and Three don't really have what don't really have a, a personality. I mean, I can describe a personality, but they, they're very, not monotonous, that's not the right word, but balanced, <laughs> preternaturally calm. Like, there's just a, a calmness. It is like talking to a God. I don't know how else to describe it. Like, a God without a personality. Just a, It's like talking to math, something like that. It's like talking to physics, something like that. But poet had a personality. Yeah. Not a flamboyant or a, an extreme personality, but the, the very fact that there was a character you know, the character traits at all was a huge, was a huge difference. Because with five and three, it's 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 sort of like interacting with an AI. And, and for all I know, the things I'm actually interacting with is not like a living biological entity. It's some kind of AI device that they have set up to deal with entities that come in through the machine or something. You know, it, the fact that it's it's always very consistent talking with five and three, and it's always flawless. I don't know how else to describe it. So, um, but yeah, like five and three are like gods, and and, and poet is is like. I mean, it's not a, it's not a human, like it's, there's a, there's a strange, poet has a strangeness for sure. It's like talking to a very odd, odd human where it's like talking to uh, <laughs> a little bit like a chat GPT, like the, the, these new AIs where they sort of have a, you can sort of have a personality, but they're, the more you interact with them, it's like, wow, this is a very weird person. You know, it doesn't, it seems less and less human the more you interact with it, even though they, they sometimes say, you know, optimistic things, they, they might have a tone sometimes, but in the amalgam, it just, it seems less and less human. And Poe was like that. Yeah, I think, I think we get that. I mean, I've had friends over the years that say very similar to the way you just explained. Um, and, I, and I'm sure there's people out there which are, are still on the Boston Tea Party trying to remember the boat names. And g- going back to history, I think one was, was it Otter or Beaver? Beaver was one, yes. Beaver. Yes, you nailed it. I can't remember the rest of them, uh, the other ones though. Ele- Eleanor is one. And uh, Dartmouth is the other. Dartmouth. <laughs> Eleanor Beaver and Dartmouth. Right, yeah. Okay. I, I know it was to do with uh, tax, wasn't it? War and tea and tax and that yes. kind of thing. Because yeah, yeah. I, I bet you there's listeners out there that were shouting the names. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And here, here's an irony. I, I used my winnings for millionaire. To, I bought a condo in Boston. It's the first place I ever loaned. I, I, I lived in crappy apartments all my life until I won a million and finally got property. I got a condo and not through choice. I, I I wasn't even aware of it, but it turned out my condo was two blocks away from where the Boston Tea Party was. And so the second year I was living there, they built a Boston Tea Party Museum <laughs> with boats, the Eleanor and the Dartmouth. So so now, you know, I don't live there anymore. I recently, during the pandemic, I moved out, but for, for almost 15 years, I every day would walk past <laughs> the two Tea Party boats. <laughs> and every time thinking, oh, I could have had that other half million. Five, why didn't you let me? <laughs> I, knew I deserved it. I earned it. So it was a constant reminder of, of what happened on, on Millionaire every day. <laughs> the, the universe, it it behaves in a funny way. Sure does. <laughs> I will see if I can find that episode, actually. 
I've, I, I don't think I've ever really watched the American version of uh, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. But I'll, I'll see if I I'll see if I can track that one down. That would be interesting. And if I find a link, actually, I might even put it on the description of this episode. I'm sure there's one. I'm sure there's one there somewhere. <laughs> but, but, but well done for getting that far. Good stuff, Ogie. Interesting. Well, I'm glad. This is the first time I've ever uh, spoken at this length uh, on, on, in public on it, so it's very, very interesting to me. I've, I mean, I've had some very, very deep, um, deep accounts on here. Again, they, they do vary. They do vary. To our listeners, of course, Dr. Ogie Ogas is a, a mathematical neuroscientist uh, and yes. an author. If you're interested in learning more, I will provide links in the description and on the website. Your books are available in Amazon. That's right. Amazon and Apple and Google Play, too. And this is what it sounds like, is my book about music and uh, Journey of the Mind is where I explain how consciousness works in accessible terms, just like I did here on the show, uh, but in much more detail, you know, go into detail about how, uh, how it all works. It takes it on the journey up this ladder of purpose, the way I described and, and explain how all the individual minds work, how the mind of a bacteria works, how the mind of a fruit fly works, how the mind of a turtle works in order to help us understand how our conscious mind works. And, th- and then I have one final book where I share the my in-text experiences called Large Gods for Small Children. Good stuff. Do you find that you, you have problems unwinding sometimes? Because your, your mind seems to be constantly on the go. Oh, yeah. You hit the nail on the head. I, I can never stop thinking. So that's, that's sort of <laughs> an ongoing problem. I, I often have trouble getting to sleep. It's only accelerating as I'm getting older. I, you know, I, I, I recently <laughs> turned 50. And, you know, I thought it'd start to slow down. But it just, uh, you know... The more I've learned, the more I want to learn, and the more I understand, and so it just it's it's exponential. I, I I'm learning at a faster rate now, you know, than I ever have. I had to learn about everything in order to really make sense of extraterrestrials, but you know, it's it's a endless motivation, you know, like knowing I will get to talk to them again and learn something new. I mean, it's, there's there's nothing like it, you know. You know there's, there's no greater motivation than that. What's, what's next for Ogie? Well, right now I'm I'm trying to share this with the world. So you're, you're one of the first times I've talked about it at all, and, and uh, this is the longest I've talked about it. But I'm I'm trying to figure out how to share this, you know. And you probably are already more familiar this uh, with this than me. But you know, most people don't want to hear it. You know, most people's minds are closed to this sort of stuff. So uh, it, it's a real challenge that I'm finding. It's you know I'm getting a real understanding of when Pernicus, you know, 400 years ago, was telling the world, hey, the, the earth goes around the sun, not the sun goes around the earth. And, and people didn't believe it. Now I understand it. it's not that they weren't capable of, of understanding that, you know, the earth goes around the sun. It wasn't that that was too advanced. And it wasn't even that it was too shocking. It was just simply that their lives were set up around this other idea. It was really a much more practical thing. It wasn't like a conceptual barrier. It was a practical barrier. Like, their, their lives were set up based on a world where the sun goes around the earth. You know, do I go to church? The church told me this. Does this mean the church is wrong? Do I stop going to church? Like it challenged things about their life, you know, their, their relationship with their priest, you know, their, their relationship with their family, like these sorts of things. Or another example is Darwin, Charles Darwin. He figured out evolution by natural selection and sat on it for something like 10 years, maybe 15 years, for many, many years, because he didn't want to upset his wife. He knew his wife was Christian and, and his wife and her family would just not accept this. You know, again, not because they weren't capable of understanding it, because it would just affect their lives in such all kinds of ways, practical ways, intimate ways, and, and affect their standing in the community. And so he just he didn't want to share it. You know, he 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 was tormented by this. And I understand it, it's the same. Like I, I know my friends and, and neighbors, you know, when they hear this, they're gonna think I'm I'm psychotic, you know, I'm I'm delusional at just what happened to me. But 
you know, I just, I feel like I finally understand it well enough to talk about it in a way that I can help people understand, you know, it, it, even 10 years ago, it would have been impossible. I would have sounded nuts, but at least now, you know, and I, I worked on developing my writing ability. I, I was a terrible writer because of my autism. You know, I, I, when I was young, I was awful. Like you would never thought I'd be a writer, but I, I've been working on it because I knew to communicate this stuff with people, I got to be able to explain it in a way they can understand and, and talking like this. You know, I was terrible at, at talking. I would have been able to do this even 15 years ago, um, having a conversation like this where I was clear and <laughs> and intelligible. Um, that took tons of development. Yeah, so I, I've, I've spent my life on all of this. I had to develop all of this writing, talking, you know, math. I, I don't like math even now. You know, like if I can stop doing math and just relax, that would be great. But I'm stuck because I can't explain this to people or get people to believe it unless I can show them the math. Because you can't argue with the math. You know, here's how consciousness works. Here's the math. Here's the equations. You see that, you know, then you're kind of, oh, well, it's not really just talking about an experience now, is it? It's, you've actually got something. That's that's the thing with mathematics. No matter how much you don't like it, you don't like using mathematics, it's all around us. It's everywhere. You know, it's, it's the universe, isn't it? Yes, it is. And you can't argue with it. Gravity follows an equation, you know, <laughs> a mathematical equation. That's, that's that's how it works. Do you think, you know, you you, you talk about people and, and, and mankind move into higher levels levels you know we hear we hear yes. about that, we hear about that more and more now about you know we're going to evolve to a different plane you know a different level do you think people as a whole are ready for this this jump especially going by everyone's worldview everyone's stuck in this kind of this reality the last few years mind obviously reality seems to be changing a little bit for people you know yeah people are being hit by things they wouldn't normally expect to to, to happen in their lifetime but i, I think these Things that are happening right now are the things preparing us for what's to come. We have to go through this period of chaos. What is, explicitly what's happening right now is we're all finally interconnected. I mean, look at you and me. Well, here we are, uh, different continents you know, across an ocean, talking as if you know you're in the next room. And the fact that we can do this with anybody, I could talk to somebody with China like this. I could talk to somebody in South Africa like this, and do um, the fact that we're all interwired together means we need new dynamics we need new protocols new norms you know new new ways to handle this to, to evolve this because this is brand new and they don't exist yet and that's why it's so chaotic and we're all disoriented and upset and worried and fearful is because we don't know where this is going we're building this out all around us right now and we don't know where it will end up but eventually we'll find some new stable state just as we figured out in the past every time there's a new technological advance printing books, you no know, newspapers, you know, those changed things dramatically. Those were scary things. Aristotle famously said, rejected uh, books. He's like, what is this writing? This is going to spoil your mind reading and writing. You know, like you should think without having to look at words on the page. That's ridiculous. That's for weak minds. You know, so even learning to write was a huge evolutionary step for us. So we're going through this. We're learning. We're building. And, and it's scary and disorienting whenever you're in it. But, uh, you know, th this is how we ascend to the next rung of the ladder is, is we need to find ways to unite the entire world, you know, to make it a hyper mind, a single mind, you know, human mind across the entire globe uh, operating in harmony. And, you know, maybe it's not far away. Maybe it's a far away and maybe we'll never get there. All those are possible because the, the, the future is not predetermined. And I don't think it's possible to say right now which it will be. But 
That's what's so exciting. If we knew how it was going to turn out, you know, what a, what a boring life it would be. And, and, and this means it matters what we do. If we want that positive outcome, we all have to work towards it, uh, which is exactly how it should be. Final thoughts. That's wonderful. Thank you, Nick. Thank you for giving me the room room to talk. I really deeply appreciate it. It was helpful to me because I've never just never freestyled like this, just stream of consciousness. And, and it was very helpful to me to see just kind of what came up <laughs> at what point. So you know, I didn't prepare for this. So I, I'm grateful to you for this, this, this chance. Thank you. You're more than welcome. Ogi, I really appreciate you coming on and sharing that for our listeners. Thanks, Nick. It was fun and it's uh, cathartic. It was great talking to you. Keep in contact, all right? And I will speak to you soon. Bye. Thanks again. That's all for this episode. Keep updated and connected with the show on X, Facebook and Instagram. And if you have an encounter that you'd like to share on the podcast, you can email me at ufochronicles at gmail.com or you can reach out to me via the contact page on my website at ufochroniclespodcast.com. A big thank you to Ogie for sharing tonight and thank you all for listening. I will be back next week. Till then, stay safe and keep watching the skies. Goodbye. Goodbye.